Leviticus chapter 11 and doing selections from 11, 12, 13, and 15. So if you have your sheet there, read with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but it does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud and does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves along the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Chapter 11 in the book of Leviticus is all about food laws. But we're going now to chapter 12, which talks about laws concerning uh, childbirth. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Verse 13, 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of a leprous disease, that's a, a broad category of skin diseases, on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of the body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a case of leprous diseases. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And if a man has an omission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and, unclean, and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstruation impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. How's that for a reading of God's Word? <laughs> is anybody sweating yet? Am I pitting out? Uh, I know I am. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your grace. Uh, it is wonderful to actually see how the Bible goes there. It is not afraid to go there and to talk about things that seem weird and odd and awkward for us. And so tonight we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and our ears that we might understand you and that we might know more about you tonight, even in these strange laws from the book of Leviticus. We ask this all for your name's sake and your glory. Amen. Well, in a recent uh, article from Forbes magazine, uh, the writer says, in order to relate to your generation, the generation of millennials, any leader must have this key trait, the trait which is highly valued among you as a, a millennials. It's what will make you a more relatable boss uh, as an employer. And what is it? A Here smartphone. it is. 
No, Bennett, but thank you for interrupting. Um, I thought you were asking. No, that's not. Uh, it was rhetorical. Um, what is it? It is authenticity. That's the trait. And you know it as the opposite of being fake. You see, in a world where people can learn very quickly about you and your life on social media, the real deal you is actually quite prized. Are you who you post or are you someone different? It is ironic, of course, if you think about it, because most millennials only put their best self forward on social media. But this only underscores or emphasizes the longing for who one is to actually line up with the way that they live their life. In other words, you guys really, really value and believe highly in when somebody lives out their life authentically. We've read tonight a series of some of the strangest laws in all of Leviticus. A series that raises serious questions. Don't eat pigs? What's the reason for that? And wait, you're unclean for having a baby and twice as long if it's a little girl? Why? And what's all this talk about emission and discharges from our genitalia? That's just weird. What possible relevance could they have for us today? Great questions. All of them. Y'all, we look tonight at the clean laws, these laws that speak to various areas of everyday life. These clean laws, though, they actually act as a window of sorts, and they let us see and consider something else. They act as windows to show us the merging, if you will, of who you are and how you live your life. Does that category sound familiar? Well, if you didn't have problems with the book of Leviticus yet, you probably will tonight. But before you start checking out and live tweeting, the RUF guy just said genitalia, may I submit to you something? That our texts tonight speak actually of authenticity. How can I say that? Well, we'll see. But the Bible has another word for it. The Bible uses the word holiness instead. And as we'll see, it is a far more rich picture than mere authenticity. So tonight we come to the portions of Leviticus that make many of us as modern readers sort of scratch our heads. And I I think that's absolutely normal. So uh, let's take a look tonight then, therefore, and look at these laws and noting their strangeness, their reason for them, and the relevance of them, and hoping that God might show up and might teach us something about Himself tonight uh, in them. Uh, Let me pray for us. God, we ask tonight that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we might know you, and that you would do this because you're kind to us. And it's in your name. Amen. All right, let's start off. Let's just jump right in. The strangeness of the clean laws. Well, one of the things that I think you need to know right off the bat is something that you probably need to be reminded of. Just because something is strange to us does not mean that it was strange to its original hearers. Like, you just have to understand that, or you won't be able to make sense of where we're going tonight. But I actually think these laws, though as strange as they may be, actually make a lot of sense once you understand several things about them. What are some of those things that we need to understand? Well, first we need to understand something about this idea of ritual states. As you read through what we read through, and if you read through those, that whole, those whole series of chapters, you would notice this distinction being made. This distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. If you saw it there in your, uh, in your bulletin, you saw where it says uh, that you are to uh, 
you, you, you have these foods or you, you uh, can eat these, these animals to make a distinction in verse 47 between the clean and the unclean. The point is there's always a distinction being made. Well, what is meant by these categories? Well, you also find there's synonyms between clean and unclean being pure and impure. It's the same words, the same idea. But the first thing that you have to understand about ritual states is this, that they are not describing moral categories. They are describing ritual states. That's very important. Not moral categories, ritual states. What does that mean? That means, for example, um, that you can be unclean and not be a morally reprehensible person. Okay? It doesn't necessarily translate. And how do we know this? Well, listen. Did you notice in chapter 12, we read in Leviticus that having a baby made the mother unclean. Does that mean, therefore, that having a baby is sinful? The answer is no. That's not what that means. It's referring to ritual states, and that's very, very important. It has to do with status. It has to do with their place within the Jewish community and what one could do being a part of that. One uh, scholar, Dr. J. Sklar, he writes this. He writes that sin is rooted in moral wrongdoing. Impurity or uncleanness is not. What is more is that sin is an action and impurity or uncleanness is a state of being. In his book, he writes that, and I think this is very helpful, he says that ritual states, think about a hospital. For you to be able to operate, to be doing surgery, you must be clean. You must have on scrubs, you must have sanitized, you must be wearing sterile attire. And that does not make you a better person. And it also means that just because you're not in the operating room, that you're somehow morally reprehensible because of that. That's what this is trying to get at. People go in between these states of clean and unclean on a regular basis just by living life. I mean, you saw it there. If you give birth, you're going to be unclean for a while. And so what does all that mean? Well, ritual states are very, very important. They would have transferred between clean and unclean by ceremonial washings or time, just days clicking off the calendar, and that would have been enough as well. So these aren't moral states, but... But they have something to do with moral states. And you need to understand that as well. Here's what this is. These ritual states were meant to exist as pointers or markers for the moral life of God's people. It would have been a constant mirror or a constant reminder of how they ought to live out their lives day in and day out. Think about it this way. If you were an ancient Israelite, you would have walked through your day going, well, can I do that? Is that going to make me unclean? If that makes me unclean, if somebody comes near me and touches me, they're going to be unclean, and they're going to be unfit for worship at the temple. And so i got to be aware. Okay, what's for dinner tonight? Or What are we having? Okay, I just could check. Do you see that? That's all of that was everyday life for the ancient reader of, of Leviticus. And what that means, therefore, is that they were meant to think of, of their, their ritual state as a marker for their moral state. In other words, that if all of life was lived out before God ritually, that all of life was to be lived out as well at the level of the heart. That all areas of life, that God wanted His people's heart, the entirety, the entirety of their lives were to be lived out this way as a reminder. Well, What would this have to do with us? Well, let me just maybe offer up one quick point of application. The clean laws touch 
on vast and comprehensive areas of life. These aren't the only ones that are offered up. And I think that's really, really important because I think most Christians have a tendency to sort of split their lives. And they want to say, this part of life God cares about, but this part of life He doesn't. Okay? So there are these really holy, special things that God cares about, like reading your Bible, or like being a really nice person, or going on a mission trip, right? But like Chick-fil-A on a Wednesday evening with your best friend, God doesn't really care about that stuff. And what the clean laws show us is that all of life is to be lived out in front of God. That all of it matters to Him. That there is no such thing from the Christian worldview of a sacred and a secular split. Everything matters. I mean, you saw it. It touches on our sexuality. It touches on the foods that we eat. It touches on the clothes that we wear. That God is concerned about all of our lives being lived out before His face. I think one of the major problems in Christianity today is is there is too much of a split. That you're only a serious Christian if you go to ten Bible studies and go to church ten times a week. And then you're, or if you have some sort of major religious experience. And it's like, I don't know about that. I I was talking with a student about this just the other day. It's like, can't you just eat pizza with a good friend at Pizza Snob and like give thanks for that? Like, can't that be a moment that... God is in and that He cares about? The clean laws remind us of that, believe it or not. Well, I think that's very important, but I want to say that these strange laws really aren't that strange after all once you understand what's behind them. They were a good gift given to God's people to remind them of the sort of people that they ought to be in all areas of life. The sort of people that God Himself longed for them to be. What was that? What sort of people did God, in fact, long for them to be? Well, that's where we turn now as we take a look, secondly, at the reason for these clean laws. It needs to be stated that right off, that no one really knows the rationale for many of these laws. The best scholars, uh, the best PhDs say things like this. We don't really know the rationale for why, for example, a pig was considered unclean and a cow wasn't. I mean, they, they have principles in place. They think our best judgment is, is that there was a standard for norma- normality, like there was a norm in each of these different categories. And when there was a deviation from that norm, that's what made one unclean. Uh, anything that deviated was seen, therefore, as impure and so on and so forth. Uh, the other thing that people often offer up, and again, we, it's good to know this, is the principle of life that God is the creator of life, He's the giver of life, and so anything that is a loss of that life or is a symbolic loss of that life is seen as in some way uh, unclean or impure. That's why it says things like a discharge of semen or or a bloody discharge. Those were the vehicles of life. And so when those were spilled, so to speak, they, it, was, it was a marker of life being lost. and It was a symbol of that. So that's what's going on there. If you want to understand the meat and potatoes behind it, you can come and ask me more questions and I'll be glad to help you with it. But the point is, is that it creates something, uh, it, it is demonstrating something about what God Himself values. Let me move on. I want to say this. I mentioned the reason for, and I think two R words help us. First of all, 
These clean laws reflect the character of the lawgiver. Look on your page there. Do you see it in verse 44, 11, 44? It says that God Himself reveals Himself as holy. He says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. In other words, these laws are a reflection of His character. And they were to remind these individuals of who He was on a daily basis. These laws were put out there to put on display God's goodness and His kindness and His holiness in the midst of these people. But secondly, the second R word, it's not just that they reflect God's character. It's that they remind these people of something as well. First of all, it reminds them of who they were. Now you need to understand something about this idea of holiness. What in the world is holiness? I hear it thrown around. It sounds like a pretty religious word. It sounds like something that I don't really want to be a part of if I want to be normal. So uh, how would I deal with this? Well, let's take a look at what is meant by the word holy or holiness. You saw it there in verse 1145. God says, you must be holy because I am. What is being referred to? Well, holiness, when referring to us, has two particular meanings in Scripture. The first means set apart for particular use. That's the idea. In fact, uh, through, though our culture sort of associates this word with a little bit of weird religiosity, um, really, holiness is a concept that we, we, we get. We get this. Here's what I mean. The other day, Laura was making a cake. Laura's my wife. Uh, and... Um, it called for X amount of flour. And so she went to the bin where the flour was in our kitchen. She scooped out what she needed. Ready? She set apart for a purpose a certain amount of flour to be used in the cake. Okay? She did not take the whole bin of flour, throw it in the bowl and do that because uh, it wouldn't have made a good cake. It wouldn't have been as tasty. The point is, is that this amount, something has been set apart for a particular use. That's what the Bible means when it talks about something being holy, okay? And what this means is huge for you and me. Why? You see, if you are a Christian, you are actually holy to the Lord. You have been set apart. You have been set apart for His purposes. Remember what happened when God rescued His people out of Egypt. Do you remember what He said to them? Turn your eyes to the screen here. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but it's wonderful. He says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Here it is. I will take you to be my people. There it is. God has made you His. In other words, if you are a Christian, listen to me. This is what I want to drive home. This is your identity. This is who you are. You are holy in God's eyes. He sees you as holy, special to Him. He is your maker. You are His much beloved creation. He is your redeemer. You are His rescued people. He is your husband. He is your precious bride. All of these things, if you are a Christian, are true of you not one day in the future, but right now, today, on this Wednesday night. And so therefore, holiness is first an identity. And unless you understand that, nothing will make sense from here on out. It is an identity. It is who you are. But secondly, it not only reminded them of who they were, it reminded them of how they were to live. Given who you are, holiness refers to living out 
of who you are. It is a living out of who you are now made to be in God's eyes. If we belong to the Lord, how are we to live that out? What does that mean? Holy people live holy lives. Think about what it later says in the book of Leviticus. You can turn your eyes up here. It says this, You shall be uh, holy to me, for I am the Lord. I am holy, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So holiness also speaks to how we live out our lives in the process of living out who you really are as one redeemed and rescued by God. You can begin to see this theme, right, of authenticity showing up. Do you see it? To live a holy life is to live an authentic life because it is to live out who you really are. Do you see that? I think this is very, very important because holiness addresses both the questions, who I am and how am I to live? If I could get you to pay attention, if you've checked out, come back from me for one second because what I'm about to say is very, very important. Every worldview, whether it is a religion or not, answers these questions, who I am and how am I to live? Every single one. The unique thing about Christianity is the way that they're answered and ordered. Christianity always deals with the who I am question first and then answers the how I to live my life. You see, what religion says is, if I live a good life, if I live a proper life, if I'm a good enough person, then God will make me His child. You see, if I keep all the rules, if I stay away from the bad things and I do all the good things, then God must look at me and say, Ah, oh, I'm so proud of you. Come on in. Christianity says, No. That is not the case at all. Christianity says, You are mine in God's eyes freely, by grace. And it's from there that life begins to be lived. If you flip them, you lose Christianity. And if you flip them, are you ready? You will be one miserable person for the rest of your life. Because you're always going to try to think, I'm never doing enough for God. I can never be a good enough person. And the question is, it's like, yeah, you're right. And you're really, really close to Christianity when you begin thinking that. Because what lies at the heart of Christianity is people who have given up trusting in themselves. They give up on themselves and they start looking to God. I pull no punches here. The greatest spiritual misery, the, be- the worst that you can ha- have is if you try to live out the question, this question first. I need to live my life rightly and then become the sort of person that God wants me to be. God freely makes holy people out of hot messes. There it is. That's the gospel. And I want you to see that tonight because it means no matter where your life is, that God's grace is on offer to you. It doesn't matter the sort of person you are. He loves to delight in saving sinners. Well, they were given these laws to remind themselves of who they were as new people because of God's grace. God's people were primarily to remember who they were and then live out the entirety of their lives on that identity. Well, what about then this relevance for us today? What sort of bearing then do these clean laws have on us? Well, first of all, it needs to be said this. Sorry. Boom. That's where we are. Okay. So what do they have to say for us today? Well, this is huge. It's a matter hugely for where we're going in the book of Leviticus. One of the questions that often comes up is why don't we have to follow those laws anymore? I mean, let's be honest, 
pulled pork barbecue is one of my favorite things in the whole world, and I love eating shrimp, okay? So uh, I'm so glad as a Christian we don't have to follow those laws anymore. But why? Why don't we? Well, the Bible tells us why. Here's why. Um, If you listen to Jesus' own words in the book of Matthew and the book of John, he says these two particular things. He says this first for Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In short, Jesus fulfills those ceremonial laws, and he does away with them. Moreover, Mark, the book of Mark, tells us that Jesus himself declared all foods that are they're clean. You can eat anything you want as a Christian. You can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want, and that's good news. But also Jesus himself says this about the purity laws. He says this in John chapter 15 where he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The idea there is that Jesus has made us ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean because of his life, death, and resurrection. But just because these laws in the letter no longer apply, the principle remains for us, and that is this. You and me, if you are a Christian, if you take the name of Christ, you are still called to live out of your identity, and that is to live a holy life. Now that's going to rub some of you the wrong way because you're going to say, wait a second, I thought this RUF guy was all about grace. What's this deal about holiness now? What's up with that? I mean, you're telling me I can't do whatever I want, and I'm saying, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. The Apostle Peter, he says this. He says, uh, look with me. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, ready? A people for his own possession. You are still God's. Knowing who you are, a person saved by God's free mercy and grace, you did nothing to earn it. You are still called to live out a life that bears forth that identity, to live out lives of holiness. We are His people, called to show forth His excellencies to the watching world. Well, it's a great question then. How is this holiness then expressed? How do we live out who we actually are? A little story for you guys. Think about it like this. A couple weeks ago is Valentine's Day. And imagine that I show up one day with Laura to give her some flowers. And um, I came home. She's been slaving away with the twins all day. She may not have even showered. Who knows? That's a pretty, well, uh, edit that part out, please. (laughs) I'm just playing. Imagine I show up at the door with the flowers, and she lights up, right? And she says, oh, sweetie, you didn't have to do that. These are so perfect. This just made my day. Thank you so much. And then imagine me saying, actually, I did have to. Uh, It's my duty to give you flowers. I'm your husband, and that's what husbands do. Uh, By the way, what's for dinner? Right? Imagine if I were to say that. Well, I want you to know that if I said that, I've just done that event out of duty, not out of delight. Duty, not delight. I didn't give her those flowers because I loved her and wanted to, but because I felt like I had to. Holiness, y'all, is an expression our love to God. It isn't about being a stick in the mud. We express and show forth our love for Him by the way that we obey what He has called us to do. We, in other words, we love Him because we are His. And this is very key. Hang with me. 
that you will show forth whether or not you love God by how you follow His commands. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus saying that straight from John 14 when He says this, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. But you will also demonstrate too whether or not you believe that God really loves you. Do you see that? If it's by grace that you have been saved, if you have been captured by this principle of grace, and if that's the thing that begins to flower in your heart, to show forth this, I could begin to say that there is a good chance that if you do not follow His commands, you've not understood how much He dearly loves you. And therefore, we must come back over and over again to the Gospel. God calls His people to live lives of obedience Motivated by love. Motivated by love. We are saved freely by God's grace. There is nothing we can do to earn it. Our good works do not merit Him loving us. But this saving grace, y'all, always changes us at the level of the heart. It changes what we want. It changes the way that we live our lives. It always does. Therefore, holiness always flows from grace. Grace and holiness go together. I put it up on the screen as a joke, but you know what I mean when I say this. Holiness doesn't really matter because God is gracious, said the Bible nowhere. Nowhere. It says entirely the opposite. Therefore, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you consider your holiness as important? Do you see your life to be characterized by a deep hatred of your sin? and longing to be more like Jesus, to walk in His ways, holiness and grace are not separate. They go together. And God saves us freely, despite our sin, to be a holy people. Remember, to live a holy life is to live an authentic life. You have a new family. The old person is gone, y'all. You are not who you once were. You are not. That person, that woman, that woman, man is dead. You are a new creature, a new creation. How are you fleshing that out with your life? Holiness answers that question. Hopefully you can see, therefore, this. That what sin does, it's not that it's just wrong. Though it is. It's this. is that it's killing you. It's chiseling away who you really are. And I'll put it like this. You are never more inauthentic as a person than when you are living and pursuing sin. It's not who you are, y'all. It's not who you are anymore. You are holy to the Lord. Why do you give in to it? Quit. Stop. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is not who you are anymore. That's the great news. So you live out of this new identity. What will free our hearts then to live that way? What will do it? Well, in an interesting place in Matthew, Jesus passes a man who has this skin disease called leprosy. And because of this, that man was unclean. He was shut out. He was cut off from the life of his people and family. Imagine not being able to be around your family because you would make them unclean. Well, one day, Jesus, as he's walking by, he breaks protocol. And do you know what he does? He touches the man. And do you know what that immediately does to Jesus? It makes him unclean. It makes him unclean. And we know what it does to the man. It heals him. His leprosy is cured. Now listen to me. I just want to ask you this. Who deals with your uncleanness? Is it God? Or is it you? There is no a third option. But I want to say this. Aren't you tired of trying to clean, your, clean up your mess? 
Aren't you try, tired of trying to clean up your life? You're like my daughter the other day when she was uh, eating spaghetti. It was all over her face, right? And she had a napkin. She was trying to wipe her face off. Do you know what she was doing? She was spreading that sauce all up on her face more and more and got all up in her hair. She needed her daddy to come and clean her. That's what she needed. She needed her daddy to wipe it away. Do you know in Jesus that you have someone who deals with all of your mess, all of your junk, and He gladly touches you, as it were, to make you clean? He can, you cannot clean yourself up. On the cross, He was gladly cut off. He was shut out. He was the Holy Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And when you see that, when you really see Him doing that for you, y'all you begin to want to love Him. Love begets love. William Cooper, an old hymn writer, once wrote these words, uh, and it's where we'll end tonight, but I think they are amazingly powerful. Look what he says. He says this, and then we'll pray. To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice. It changes a slave into a child and duty to choice let's pray God I thank you tonight for your grace to us and how you love us thank you that you um, come to the wretchedest of the wretched that you come to the brokenest of the broken and you delight to heal us and to cleanse us O oh Lord, that we might see who we really are in You, a new people, a clean people, a beautiful people, a ransomed and redeemed people. And might we now have the courage by Your Spirit to live out that, that we might love You in so doing. I pray that You would help us to do that, Lord. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.